I'm excited to be able to preach tonight, and uh, I don't have to remind you guys of what days we're living in. I mean, we've got the virus thing going on. We've got the, the racial stuff that's, that's happening, the disunity there. Uh, cops are under attack and under uh, scrutiny. We have all this stuff that you guys know about. You hear in the news. You maybe are experiencing uh, some of us more personally than others. And so uh, I don't have to remind you of all of that, but I do want to take some time and remind us of what the enemy is trying to accomplish in all of this. And what the enemy is trying to accomplish is to create in us an us versus them heart. No matter what the us or them is, his whole agenda is, whether it's the virus or the racial issues or whatever it is, I can tell you his agenda is to create an us versus them. And that's really what I want to address. It's a, this my side, your side. If you're not with me, you're against me. And so our scripture for, for this day and this wrapping up food for thought is this. And it's Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 17. In the Amplified, it says this. Better is, dinner of, uh, better is a dinner of vegetables and herbs where love is present than a fattened ox served with hatred. How many guys would just admit that sometimes the Bible's hard to believe? Anybody? Because, um, I, I mean, I like to eat, and uh, so I'm thinking, okay, how does this work? But I know that it is true. The Bible has a lot to say about love. The Bible has a lot throughout all of its pages to say about love. We know that we're to be known by our love. One of the fruits of the Spirit is love. We, we know that God so loved the world that what he gave, right? And, and we also know this, that God is love. So the Bible has a lot to say about love. And then we go to this scripture, which was one of the most famous in all of the Bible. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. How many of you guys know that we're all, we all know we're supposed to love our neighbor, right? How many of you guys just go ahead and just raise your hand? We know we're supposed to love our neighbor, right? The question then becomes, who is our neighbor? And that's the exact question that a lawyer asked Jesus, and that led to Jesus telling this famous story called the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to go into all of that, but I think a better way to, or one way that I want to tackle this tonight and to try to establish who our neighbor is, is by talking about near and far neighbors. And here's what I mean by that. Some of us have an easier time loving faraway neighbors than we do our near neighbors. And some of us have a harder time loving, our, our, loving the faraway neighbors than we do our near neighbors. Let me just explain what that means. If, if you go out on a mission field or you see people who maybe don't have the same life that you have or maybe are a different world than you are, sometimes for some of us it's easier for us to love people who are far away. And here's what that looks like. What happens is we begin to go out and reach out to other people, other people groups or other countries or people in different situations, different lifestyles than ours, different scenarios than ours. And it's easy for us to love those people. And then we get, come on, if we just admit it, we get frustrated with those who are near to us who don't seem to share the same passion that we have for our faraway neighbor. Has anybody ever experienced that before, right? And so what happens is we begin to despise those who are near to us, maybe those who are like us, maybe those who are in the same church as us, maybe those who are, are in, in our household or whatever it is. And it's easy for us to love people who are far away that are different. 
and we just start to say to those who are near, well, you just don't get it. You just should love like I do. You should, and we get angry at those who are near. And so it's easier for us to love far but not near. I used to have a neighbor who, uh, he, would li- he lived directly across the street from us. And no matter when I looked outside, okay, so just picture this. No matter when I looked outside, he's outside on his porch staring at my house, at my window, just smoking a cigarette the whole time. He's just, he's just staring at us the whole time. No matter when I looked out there, I'd even look out there in the dark of night and I'd just see a red glowing ember and I knew he was there just staring at us. And I just was, I mean, I was like, man, this guy, I mean, what is he doing? And finally, God just had to work on my heart. Here's my near neighbor. He's right there. You have an opportunity because sometimes it's so easy to love those far away. Now, for some of us, That's a little harder. For some of us, it's easy for us to love our near neighbors, those who are in the same church as us, those who are in the same uh, economic situation as us, those who are in the same racial situation, whatever it is. And it's easy for us to love those who are near, but someone who's different than us, maybe someone that's far away from us, maybe somebody who's on the other side of the political aisle, maybe somebody who's in a different situation, it's hard for us to love them. And, and we, we now have a struggle between those two, the near and the far. Can I tell you what God is doing in all of this? It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. It says this, but now in Christ... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who are near. So what's God doing in all of this? If you're far away, he's trying to bring you near. If you're near, he's trying to bring near and far close so that he can make peace. How's he doing this? He's doing this through the cross. And with everything that's happening in this time that we live in, you might be tempted to say, well, that doesn't apply to this situation. That doesn't apply to what I'm looking at right now because of my faraway neighbor or my near, near neighbor does this or that or the other because of the tension that's going on. That doesn't apply to me today. And I would just say this. If that's where you're at right now, that's a warning light in your heart to say that something isn't thinking the way God thinks about things. Something is off in our heart if we say this doesn't apply to me. So I know you guys have been waiting for this. This is food for thought. So let's cook some food. Watch. All right, I'm here with my daughter, Rachel, and we are going to cook something today, but the scripture is better is veggies with love than a bunch of steak with hatred. So we've got to come up with some sort of veggie meal, and I've chosen to do some sort of stuffed onion, but I'm going to smoke it. So how can you go wrong there? What's your favorite vegetable? Um, I really like broccoli. You like broccoli. This is amazing. I'm a winner as a parent right now. Okay. All right. Let's figure out how to do this. It says using, well, I think we have to take this skin off or whatever this thing is. I guess we just take it off here. Take off some of that stuff. I don't really even know what you call this stuff. If it's a skin or a layer or a, a peel or it's an onion peel and a sticker. There's got a sticker on there too. I guess that comes off. I really didn't think this would be hard. This part of this would be the hard part. That's difficult. 
That's a mess. Okay. That, you did even worse than I. You could be on this all the time because you're as good as I am. <laughs> it's just not coming off. So difficult. Okay. That's got to be good enough. Somebody probably knows a trick to this that I do not know. Okay. That's good enough. All right, now it says using a sharp paring knife and starting at the top opposite the root. Starting at, which side's the root? Um, <laughs> okay, this has got to be the root. Yeah. Okay, so starting at the top opposite the root, cut an inverted cone-shaped cavity about two inches across the top and two inches deep in each onion. What? <laughs> so cut some sort of hole in this thing. This is... Isn't that not the root? Oh, it says opposite the root. <laughs> cut an inverted. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to cut a circle in this thing and try to make a bowl. Yeah. Yeah, Lee, this is going to take a while. I'm actually nervous right now. I'm scared. <laughs> I really did not expect this part to be hard. <laughs> How do you even do this? Okay, that's, that's got to be good enough. Okay, there's one. Okay, so while I'm doing that, ooh, this video is going to take a lot of editing. <laughs> oh, whoo. Oh my gosh, I almost cut off my thumb. I feel like I'm going to break my ego. This is really bad. What the heck? This is ridiculous. There's another onion inside. There's another onion inside. It's mocking me. Not just another one inside. It looks like a baby onion. Oh, gosh. This is... Oh, yes. Okay. Two... At least I don't have to work out today. I'm afraid that it's gonna like fly at my face or something. Ah. <laughs> okay. There's three. I'm so sick of this already. Alright, and while I'm doing this last one here, we have to start firing up the uh, the stove there and we're gonna put some butter in there and uh, we're going to uh, cook this stuff up, brown this stuff. Whoa! Oh gosh. Okay, so you start. Okay, good enough. Whoo! There's another onion inside. Okay, so we're going to set these aside. We're going to chop up some onions. And uh, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, just take that piece of butter there. And uh, I'm going to chop up these onions. Oh, gross. How am I going to... I'm gonna chop up these onions. We're gonna put that inside the cavity that we, why are we putting onions back in onions? But whatever, cut these jalapenos up. The faster you do it, the safer it is. All right, so that's all gonna go in there. We're just gonna brown that up right there. And oh, that is strong. All right, now while she's doing that, uh, I want to talk about this story uh, because uh, the story of the prodigal son, because the fattened calf reminded me of that, and Pastor Aaron was just preaching on that. And there's no better story that illustrates the near and far than the prodigal son story. 
And we know the story that the son, the younger son, he wanted his inheritance. And so he asked his father to, to have the inheritance. He leaves. He wastes it all. He comes back. He gets accepted by the father. Unconditional love and gets restored. And most of the time, that's the part of the story that we focus on. But I want to talk about today is really the story should not be called the prodigal son. It should be called the story of two lost sons, because there was a younger son that was lost, but there was also the end of the story where the elder brother actually is seen to be lost. And we can see this in Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 25, and it says this. It says, now the older, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he hears this big party, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and, and entreated him. But he answered his father. He says, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him and he says to him, he says, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting that we celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead, who was dead, is now alive, and he was lost, and now he is found. I want you to understand about this story is that both the younger brother, who went out and wasted all of the money, and the elder brother, who stayed back, both had the same aim in mind at the end, or at, at the story all along. The younger brother ultimately wanted to control what his father would do, say, give me my stuff, give me what's mine. But the elder brother also wanted the father to be controlled by his agenda. And so we see a, a brother that was far away, and then we see a brother that was still near. And we see the younger brother wanted to do this by being rebellious and bad, but the elder brother tried to do this by being righteous and good and trying to obey everything that the father was doing. So all this is saying is that you can even be doing the right things. You can be living right. You can be on the right side of an issue. You can be saying the right things. You can be fighting for the right things. But if real love isn't present, then it's all worthless. And that's the point. Whether you're near or far or fighting for a near neighbor or a far neighbor, if it's an us versus them, if there's no real love for the Father, if you're just trying to get God on your side of an issue, then it really does not matter. So you say, which side is right? Is there a place for truth? Is, yeah. Is there a place for, for love speaking truth? Absolutely. Is there a place for anger on certain issues, a righteous anger on certain issues? Yes. But we have to understand this, that righteous anger lives inside of love. Righteous anger lives inside of love. So what side is right on an issue? Let me just put it this way. Love is the side. Let me say it again. Love is the side. And if you can get on the love side, then everything else starts to fall into place. All right, so how are we doing with this over here? Looking pretty good? I think so. All right, we're just going to put these, and we just are going to dump these right back into these containers here that we've so delicately made. So I think they're supposed to be brown. That's close enough. All right, so we're just going to dump this back in. Oops. I say oops a lot. And this is supposed to make an incredible dish of smoked onions. I don't know what we, how we eat this when we're done, but we're going to put this on the smoker 
And then we're going to, about halfway through, put some cheese and barbecue sauce on this. And then it will be uh, unbelievable. All right, so let's put it on the smoker. All right, we just put these right here on the smoker. <laughs> See how these things are doing. We're going to top it off with some, oh yeah, those look pretty good. A couple tablespoons of barbecue sauce and then some cheese. Then it'll be cooked back on there for another half an hour. All right, it's out. They look amazing, and so we are going to try it. You don't like onions, though, do you? No. All right. They look they look very similar to the picture. So uh, I'm just going to cut this thing open. It was a little thick because I couldn't get the... Yeah. Okay. There we go. I'm going to try that. All right. Just dig in there. Oh, we're not using our forks? That's really good. What? I'd rather share an onion with you in a moment of love than a steak with somebody who hates. And that's a fact, Jack. Is anybody hungry yet? I'm, I'm kind of hungry right now. I don't know. So, um, all right. So, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 says this. If anyone says, I love God, how many of you guys say, I love God? Anybody in here? Get some participation going. Make sure you guys are still here. I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What does that mean for us? If we want to take a measurement of our current love for God, it's in direct proportion to the love we have for those around us. It's quiet in here, right? <laughs> and let me say it again. If we want to take a measurement of our current love for God, it's in direct proportion to our love for our near neighbors, our far neighbors, because God is bringing all of them near. And so I'm not going to give you three steps today on how to do this. I'm just simply going to give you a what-if scenario, okay? A what-if scenario and let you apply it however you want. And here's the, the what-if, and I'm going to tell a story. But here's the what-if. What if God wants you to connect with the other side, whoever the other side is for you? What if God wants you to connect with the other side? Maybe it's a Republican. Maybe it's a Democrat. Maybe it's a white person. Maybe it's a black person. Maybe it's a cop. Maybe it's a protester. I don't know. Apply it however you want to apply it. But what if God wanted you not just to love those who you were with, or maybe you're a far neighbor and it's easier for you to love the far What if... God wanted you to connect with the other side. And to do this, i got to illustrate this through a story that many of you guys have probably heard. If you remember in the Bible, the book of Acts, there's a guy named Saul. And Saul was a religious guy, but he was also more than that. He was also very, very empowered to persecute Christians. And he would persecute them, throw them in jail. He would kill them. I mean, he was like, uh, I mean, he was basically a terrorist towards Christians. I mean, he was going after them. He was rounding them up. He was killing them. And that's who he was. And then there's this famous moment where he's on this road to Damascus and he's getting ready to go do his thing. And then all of a sudden he gets this, this moment, this encounter from God, this light from heaven. He falls to his knees. He gets 
temporarily blinded. He has an encounter with Jesus and turns his life, gives his life over to Jesus. Incredible. But all he's known by is being a Christian killer. And then we come to this story. And when I saw this a couple years ago, it just amazed me. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 starts off and says this. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. He's like, wait, wait a minute. You mean the Christian killer? You mean like the guy who's out to kill guys like me? You're like, yes, this is the guy. For behold, he is praying, which didn't make sense. Okay, behold, he's praying and he is seen in a vision. This is going to be very key in just a minute. He's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered what we all would answer most likely. He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he, he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all those who call on your name. But the Lord said, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias has this moment where he has to decide what he's going to do. He has this moment where he's going to have this fork in the road moment. Am I going to obey God? All right, let's watch what happens. Now we know the end of the story that he does. But I want us to park for right there just for a moment. The question is, will Ananias obey? Now let's make it personal. Will I obey God no matter what he asks me to do? And I think a lot of us would say, well, sure, I obey God all the time. Here's the problem. We tend, to, we tend to measure how much we obey in quantity, not difficulty. Well, I obey God a lot. I did this. I read my Bible today. I went to church. I did the, the, whatever it is. We tend to measure in quantity rather than to tally our obedience in quantity, not difficulty. And so Ananias has this fork in the road. Am I going to obey? Not, he can, I'm sure, list a whole bunch of things that he did obey. But here God asks him to do something that's very, very difficult. And he says this, So Ananias departed, and he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, you, look how he, by faith, already calls him brother. That's amazing, isn't it? You talk about going to the other side. You're talking about carrying love as your side with you. He goes there on the word of God. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. See, I want you to understand that, that selective obedience in less difficult things creates this optical illusion for us that causes us to not see these deeper pictures that God wants to tell us. And, and when we just measure by quantity and not difficulty, it creates this optical illusion. And I want you to understand this, that no matter who you are, if you are a believer, no matter what you do for a living, you are called to be a minister. How many of you guys believe that? You are called to minister. It doesn't mean if, that you have to be a full-time on staff at a church. You are called simply by being a believer. And I want you to understand this, that your calling is permanent. As long as you're on this planet, God has a mission for you. It's going to look different for other people than it is for you. But you have a mission. You have a calling. The calling is permanent. But here's the trick. Fulfillment is optional. 
Just because God has called you to something doesn't mean it's going to get done. It hinges on obedience. It hinges on obedience. Because just because God told Ananias to do this doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen. And I have to wonder, there's something, here's where the whole story ends up for me. Think about this. The timeline of Ananias. God comes to Ananias and he says, I want you to go to Saul. Because before I talk to you, Ananias, I already gave Paul, Saul, a vision of a guy named Ananias that's going to come. So God gives, God gives Saul a vision of a guy named Ananias. Ananias is coming before he ever talked to Ananias. Saul says, okay, I trust you, God. There's a guy named Ananias going to come. Now God comes over to Ananias. All right, Ananias, here's the thing. I need you to go over to Saul. What would happen if Ananias said no? And here's what I wonder. I wonder how many Ananiases did God have to go through before he got somebody to say yes. Because God already said some guy named Ananias is going to come. And I wonder, were there two or three other guys who named, God comes to Ananias? He's like, I ain't going. All right, I got to go find another Ananias to go. And, and that leads us to this. Have you ever wondered what God has set in motion already that he's simply waiting for you to follow through on? Think about how much God risked on Ananias. He said, I, I think Ananias is going to do this. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell Saul about him coming. Have you ever wondered how much God has risked on you? What if there are people on the other side of whatever you're at, the us versus them for you, that God has already set in motion and we've kind of circled the wagons and saying, no, God, I'm just going to hang out over here. I'm going to hang out with what's familiar. I'm going to hang out with what I, I feel like is, is right. What if there's something on the other side that God has already set in motion, but we have to get out of our agenda and we have to get into love to be able to be open to hear the voice of God, no matter what we think about the situation? What if God has already set some stuff up? That's why this is important. That's why this is significant. And I've said it before, but there are people on the other side of your obedience. A lot of times we just think it's a, a, you know, something for us you know, on the other side. If I obey, then God will give me this. No, there's people on the other side of your obedience. Think about what would happen if Ananias didn't obey. And think about what, happened, what would happen if, if, Saul, if no one would ever come to Saul and reach across to Saul. What would happen? Well, we wouldn't be able to read most of the New Testament because it was written by, by Paul. A lot of other things. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What is he doing? He's reaching out and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Here's what we have to understand. People are the only thing that we can take with us into eternity. And so many of us, we, we, we get so caught up in the issues of the day and the rights and the wrongs and 
all of that. And yes, like I said, is there a place for righteous anger on a certain issue or a certain topic? Absolutely, there's a place for that. But righteous anger lives inside of love. And the moment you have it outside of love, it doesn't work anymore. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. How do you do that? When you have righteous anger inside of love. That's the only way to do that. That's the only way. And so the what if scenario is this. What if we are so busy with our agenda, even if it's championing a near neighbor or a far neighbor, what if we're so busy with our agenda that we have taken ourselves out of the availability for God to use us in a way we never thought possible, in a way we would never have drawn up on paper? What, what if we are so busy? What if, it's, if God has set something up in motion, but we've already closed the door because our heart won't let ourselves go there? And I'm simply calling us back to God's heart for people. No matter what side, this side, that side, this is wrong, that's right, whatever it is, if we simply come over and we have a kingdom view and say, God, what advances your kingdom? God, how can I protect my heart so that it, it looks like your kingdom when I look out? I, I love this quote about love, and it says this, Love always wants the highest good for the other person and is committed to doing whatever it takes to see it come to pass. Let me say that again. Love always wants the highest good for the other person and is committed to doing whatever it takes to see that come to pass. I want you to think about that for your spouse right now if you happen to be married that ought to be our aim for them, that we want the highest good for them, and we are committed to doing whatever it takes to see that come to pass. Think about your family members. Think about those in your church that love, always want, that you want the highest good for the other people in our family, the family of God. But now Jesus says something extremely hard. And Jesus says not just to love your neighbor, but Jesus also empowers us and, and, and suggests to us, commands us to love even our enemy. So can we put that statement up? And I'm not saying justifying evil or wrongs or anything like that, but can we live in that statement towards those on whatever is the other side that I want the highest good for them? And I'm committed to doing whatever it takes to see that come to pass. Is that hard? Absolutely. That's why the Bible calls it a narrow way. It's a narrow way of love. It's the way of Jesus. I mean, you guys are so thankful that Jesus didn't wait until we qualified to be good enough before he died on the cross for our salvation, right? He didn't wait for us to be good enough or to look like everybody else or to clean ourselves up or to be on the right side of some issue. He simply gave himself. Love always leads to a sacrifice somewhere. And it might be a sacrifice in your own heart where you have to give up some right that you feel on the inside simply to allow God to give you open ears to hear what he has to say. So I want to have the worship team come back up as we close. And I want to pray for us. Because I believe one of the things we need right now more than anything else is supernatural love. I'm not talking about love that we can muster up. I'm talking about supernatural. We need God's heart. We need God's love for one another. No matter what, where, what political spectrum you come from or what side of this, the issues you come from or whatever it is, we need God's love. How many of you guys would at least agree with that? And what if we could just go to God right now and we could just say, God, I think I'm right. I think I'm on the right side of the issue, but would you... Come into my heart right now and just rearrange whatever you need to rearrange. 
Would you heal whatever needs to be healed? Would you give me eyes to see whatever I need to see? I'm gonna ask if you'd stand up with us as we go to God in prayer. God, we thank you that it's not dependent upon even our own ability to walk this out. But your grace is an empowerment to live like you've called us to live. And so right now, God, we ask for that empowerment. We know that we can't do it in and of ourselves and we know we're gonna make mistakes. We know that attitudes of our heart are gonna get off from time to time. We know we're gonna struggle but with saying things like, but this is the right way and, and, and we know we're gonna fight all of those things. But God, we know that you give us supernatural love. And so we receive that right now, your supernatural love. We're so thankful that you emptied yourself to die on the cross for us, that even while we were still sinners, that you died for us. And we thank you that you did that, even when we didn't deserve it, even when we weren't on the right side of the issue, even when we were far away, you brought us near. And so God, that's what we want our heart to be towards other people. However you can help us rearrange things on the inside, but I just say right now, I surrender my heart to you. Surrender my heart to you. Do what you want to do. Come in and have your way right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, as we ponder that, let's worship God one more time.